there aren't many areas that are what I call national geographic areas. That's areas that are very primitive and very picturesque, but also an area where it's hard living and maybe the gospel hasn't penetrated that area. Dan and Krista Brown in 1995 felt God's call upon their lives to go to one of these areas. They've been faithful missionaries. They're now living in our missionary home for their furlough time. Let's welcome Dan and Krista Brown as they bring us their message this morning. Well, we have good news. God has been bringing indigenous people in Brazil from darkness to light. And for well over 50 years, BlackRock has played an important part through sending, supporting, and praying. And there's a video about it that we'd like you to see. Home, 
portions of the scripture are read to the bed reading, or informal conversations and friendships are taught. The main focus of all the work is related to the propagation of the gospel. Recently, a church building was made and the place has been used for weekly meetings. Women's meetings is a time of teaching and friendship. Men's meetings is a time to read and talk about scripture, as well as decide some of the practical aspects of church. Meetings with the young people are also held. On Sundays, missionaries and locals alternate in teaching the Word of God. The gatherings can be lively, dancing and singing in their native tongue. In this small village, in the middle of the rainforest, lives a people that is experiencing the transformation of the gospel in their lives. Violence, fear, and apprehension are being exchanged for smile, true happiness, and the peace Christ brings. Please continue to pray for this ministry, for this people, and for each of our missions. It's a privilege for Krista and I to be here at our home church and, and have this opportunity to share some of the amazing things that God is doing. And let's begin by reading from the book of Acts, chapter 26, from the record of Paul's testimony in his trial before King Agrippa. Acts 26:13 to 18 reads, About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Here we witness a key moment in the history of missions. Through Paul, God is moving forward with his plan to reveal himself to all people. Over the following centuries, God will continue to send messengers to seemingly every conceivable place on the planet. And still today, he sends his people into the darkness to be witnesses to the light. Daniel and I are some of those people. The RCC commissioned us in 1995 as missionaries to the Yanomami tribe in the Amazon jungle. We have lived in the village of Potomu among these isolated people for 17 years. I say isolated because the Yanomami are cut off from the rest of the world by miles of virgin rainforest. They have their own indigenous language and don't speak Portuguese, the official language of Brazil. The Yanomami are classified as hunter-gatherers and animists. Now, animists believe that everything in their environment is affected and controlled by spirits. Not surprisingly, the Yanomami live in constant fear of these spirits. 
But God, like a shepherd after lost sheep, has not abandoned them in their dark forest world. Over the years, he has been bringing them out of the darkness and into the light. In the 1950s, God led Black Rock Church to send its own Don Borgman to Brazil. And it was through Don that my family became acquainted with the Yanomami and the work among them. I remember as a child praying for his work on the translation of the Bible into their language and for Don and his wife Barbara when their firstborn son tragically died from the venom of a poisonous snake. When I was about 11 years old, my family moved to Brazil to be a support to Don as he worked on the Bible translation. And unfortunately, after about a year and a half, we had to return to the U.S. because Brazil did not grant us permanent residence in the country. But at that time, my parents wondered why God did not work things out for us to stay in Brazil. But years later, they would see that God used that experience to put the Yanomami on the hearts of their three sons because all three of us would return and minister among them. I met Daniel my freshman year at Wheaton College. And guess what? The more I got to know Dan, the more I got to know Brazil and the Yanomami. Just before my graduation, we were married in the spring of 91, and four years after that, we're on our way to Brazil. Our call to service was nothing like Paul's dramatic experience on the road to Damascus. It was a gradual process with lots of prayer, a couple of trips to Brazil, and some steps of obeying what God was impressing on our hearts. My first two years in Brazil were the most difficult of my life. The task of learning Portuguese and then the Yanomami language was overwhelming, not to mention the added challenge of being a first-time mother. Everything seemed foreign, unmanageable, and out of control. Now, Brazilians are a warm and wonderful people, but the isolated Yanomami have a culture all their own, very unlike Brazilian culture. For example... One of the Anamami's questions when we first arrived was, why did Dan have such an old wife? <laughs> now, I was in my mid-twenties, but to them, the color of my hair meant that I was beyond childbearing years. They looked at me suspiciously and wondered, whose baby was I carrying around? Another cultural difference became apparent in my struggle to learn their language. I cannot tell you how many times I heard, Translation, didn't you just hear what I said? You're still stupid. <laughs> or how about this one? Translation, are your ears still plugged up? So you can see, life was challenging in those early years. But God gave us grace and strength to keep going, even in those tough times when it felt as if the large gap between us and the Yanomami would never be bridged. We remember asking God, will they ever understand your truths, Lord? So great seemed their darkness, and so small was our faith. But despite all this, God gave us a love for the Yanomami, and after about ten years, things began to change. In spite of our doubts and our shortcomings, God's light was dispelling the darkness. 
At first we were dubious of this new interest in God. The Yanomami have been known to say or sometimes do just about anything if they think it might help them acquire a new hammock or maybe a machete or a shiny new cooking pot. But when they started to write their own hymns and to give up drinking and fighting, our doubts began to fade. About seven years have gone by since we saw this change among the, Pot- among the Anamami and Potomu village. Since then, many have been baptized, including our daughter, Daniela. The church has leaders, and they are reaching out to Yanomami groups in other villages. God uses his people to overcome the darkness by sending them out to reveal the truth, that he who created the universe is Lord of all and offers forgiveness of sins and a place among his holy people. He has a special love for seemingly insignificant lost sheep, including people like the Yanomami. He delights in rescuing them from the power of Satan. To illustrate this truth, we'd like to tell you about some events that show how God is bringing the Yanomami people from darkness to the light. These events occurred in our village of Potomiu and in another place called Sudukuku, about 60 miles away. That would be about a 10-day walk through the jungle. Our mission began working in Sudukuku in the early 60s. Pioneer missionaries, like the Borgmans, did not find a happy people in harmony with nature. Instead, they found a society without organized leadership. It was governed by a struggle not to starve. Their Stone Age tools were no match for the rainforest. The people roamed constantly, looking for food and fleeing from enemies. It was a society also governed by the fear of evil spirits. In their rituals to manipulate these spirits, they took hallucinogenic drugs and drank the ashes of their dead. The strong took what they wanted. It was the law of the jungle, and the only deterrent was the fear of revenge. The very name Surukuku, which is Portuguese for a large venomous snake that in English we call a a bushmaster or pit viper, seems to symbolize how difficult ministry was in Surukuku. I say was because today there are no missionaries living there. You see, fighting and warfare have always been an integral part of life for the Surukuku Yanomamis. And the cycle of vengeance that is so typical of Yanomami society ensured that the fighting among the villages would not end. Recently, we had the privilege of talking to some of the missionaries who lived in Surukuku in the 60s and 70s. They said that it was not unusual for various groups to start fighting right in the midst of the missionaries' houses. And that during one of these skirmishes, a missionary happened to close his front door just before an arrow flew into it. Another time, the airplane had difficulty taking off because warring factions were shooting arrows back and forth across the airstrip. Finally, in 1977, after 15 years, the conflict was so intense, the missionaries decided to move to the place where we live today in Potomu. They said that even packing up and leaving was difficult, for they had to do it quickly and quietly while all the people were away. Because these Yanomamis would not have allowed the missionaries to leave without a fight. Around the time of this move, a boy named Izaki was born in Potomiu. With our mission's arrival, Izaki, or Isaac, 
had access to opportunities that his people never had before. He grew up hearing missionaries teach God's truth. He saw them build a clinic and a school in his village and learn to read and write in his own language. Steel axes and machetes made it possible to clear more ground for fields and finally have enough to eat. Despite these positive changes, ingrained habits and fears continued. Most Yanomami, including Izaki, simply found themselves better equipped, better nourished, and with more time on their hands to pursue the law of the jungle. It seemed like the move from darkness to light would never occur. The good news is that after decades of praying and teaching, the word of God began to make a difference. Izaki became one of the most gifted helpers with the Bible translation. He was one of the first in Potomu to be baptized in 2006, and as a natural leader, others followed. Later, Izaki became a Bible teacher, found a good wife who was also a believer, and together they were raising a family. Unfortunately, that's not the end of Izaki's story. What happened next would bring us to our knees and teach us about the power of prayer. About five years ago, while Izaki was showing potential as a church leader, he became a target of the enemy and fell into adultery. In no time, his activities in the church as a leader were a farce, and his family was in turmoil. He wouldn't talk to us about it, and things just continued downhill. It did not take us long to realize that we were powerless to do anything but pray for God to intervene. And did he ever. This is Vanessa, 15 years old and one of the chief wave makers in the village at the time. She was involved with Izaki and some other men. One of the others, Hui, an aggressive man with a violent history, made a deal to be with Vanessa. But she decided she wanted to be with Izaki and that afternoon walked right by Hui. Feeling ripped off, he launched a heavy metal-tipped arrow at her. Some say he shot it with his bow, but he claimed he just threw it because he only intended to hurt and not kill. At any rate, it hit Vanessa in the neck right below her ear. He yanked the arrow out and walked just a few yards to the clinic. Now, we had built that clinic on posts with a board floor about four feet off the ground. And as I arrived, I saw blood dripping through the cracks between the boards in lots of places. Izaki and some Brazilian health workers were there trying to save Vanessa as she lay dying. Well, she only lasted a few minutes, and just after dark, my brother John and I took her body to her house. Everyone but her grandmother was away on a fishing trip. She had only stayed because of her affairs. Bad news travels fast, and the next morning, Vanessa's family was back. There are no police or courts. So the whole clan went after Hui with clubs. Hui is a tough guy and stood his ground, but there were too many against him, and he eventually had to flee into the jungle and barely got away alive. He now lives in exile in a distant village. Well, we were astounded. We had prayed for God to do something, but wow, in one one move, two big troublemakers, Hui and Vanessa, were taken out of the picture. Zaki was definitely conscious of his role in the tragedy, and we prayed that God would use it to open his eyes. 
Eventually, he retrieved his wife, Sarita, from her relative's house and began a long process of restoration. Today, the two of them seem close to each other and God. Together, they have a powerful testimony and speak effectively to others dealing with similar situations. A lot of people were praying for Izaki and Sarita. Prayer is what brought them through this difficulty, and we are convinced that it is one of the most, if not the most, important thing we do on the mission field. We are in a position to see specific people in specific situations needing prayer and communicate these needs so others, like you here at BlackRock, can pray too. In answer to prayer, God is bringing the Yanomami from darkness to light. Today, believers from Padamiu are reaching out to the warlike people of Sudakuku, the very place missionaries had to leave about 40 years ago. My brother John recently wrote of a Bible conference they held there three months ago. Several church leaders from Padamiu went to lead it. When the conference started, there were about 250 people from four villages present. But by the time the meetings ended three days later, there were approximately 450 present from around 20 different villages. These warring people from, were drawn from all over the Sudokuku region to hear God's talk again after about 40 years. John wrote, The third and fourth day, groups were still trailing in from distant villages to hear the talk. Many wanted to be baptized. Our church leaders were desperately trying to evaluate the level of understanding and sincerity before giving the okay. The teaching continued right up until the last church leader climbed into the plane for the last flight out of that tiny grass airstrip. In the end, 162 had been baptized. When this news reached us in December, we were amazed. God is at work in the lives of the Anamami people in a way that we, ten years ago, could not have imagined. Truly our Lord and his word are powerful. The God of the universe is reaching out and turning people from darkness to the light. Please rise while we close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing among the Yanomami and around the world. Thank you for the prayers and support of people at BlackRock. Please continue to reach into the darkness and turn people to the light. Use this conference for your glory and to raise up workers and send them into the harvest fields. Amen. Let's thank the Browns. Aren't they wonderful people? You know, the Browns are great representatives of the number of missionaries that we have here at Black Rock that are affecting lives throughout the world. So one final push for you to walk back there and pick up uh, a prayer partner that you're going to be praying for because what you are going to do praying for our missionaries is going to make an effect on God's world. See you Wednesday.